the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Crossover, step back! Where the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia comes to get their sports live. Is this the dagger? Great night to be a Mountaineer, wherever you may be. Agent back to pass. Rush down the pocket. Throwing it downfield. It's into the end zone. Oh, he caught it! Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone. It is Friday the 14th, and you are tuned in to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchbull building. I'm Jordan Ice Warner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Good morning, fellas. Good morning. What's going on? It's Friday. It's nice out. It's going to be warm again today. Yeah. It's rain tomorrow. Be, yeah, this is the last of the uh, really nice warm days, it's looking like. And then it's going to rain, I think, this weekend. And then I think like the early part of next week is supposed to be a little chillier out of all of a sudden. Like it's it, supposed to actually be spring. It'll yeah. be real spring next week. Like 65, Is, Doesn't 70. this always happen, though? Like sometime middle in April, you get like full summer weather for like a week, and then it's like, okay, we're going back to the 50s and 60s. I'm you cool with it. you want in West Virginia. Yeah. It might snow next week. That's fair. I saw a, uh, like a meme once that was talking about Maryland uh, like seasons, and it said you had winter, then fake summer in January, and then you had fake spring, <laughs> then winter again in March. But I'm glad we didn't have any kind of a winter this year. I was pumped on that. Give me give me the 80 degrees, 75 degrees. Give me all that. Because it certainly makes sitting out at ball games a lot nicer when uh, the weather is a lot nicer, especially this early in the spring. And, Luke, you uh, were out at, uh, where you at? Spring Mills last yeah. night. And, well, you had a great night for some ball games. And, um, well, you saw a pretty good ball game last night. Yeah, we did. You talk about great weather. Once the sun finally went down, about 70 degrees, mm-hmm. breeze kicked up a little bit. It was, it was just about perfect. But... Uh, high school softball is the first one we got to do this year, and it was a ton of fun. Um, and to be honest with you, I went into this game with not the greatest expectations for Musselman, not because of the Appleman season, because I think they're a very talented ball club. But listen to uh, this performance, and this is only something that can happen in softball. So Claire Wetzel's pitching for Spring Mills in this game. They've played four games in four days, and she started all of them and went the distance in all of them except Ooh. one. So she finished Thursday's game having thrown 29 innings in four days, which oh, is unbelievable. Uh, and she got into a rhythm early on, although Ellie Sloan from Musselman did the same thing. And Musselman get to Wetzel first. They score two runs in the third inning. Uh, things just get a little spicy in the field. Uh, Musselman loses a runner at the plate uh, for the last out of the inning, though. They could have made it three. They said the runner left early on a sacrifice fly. So it was 2 nothing at that point. But then Spring Mills responds with four runs over the next two innings. So I'm kind of sitting there thinking, Okay, you know, the Cardinals kind of distanced themselves away from Musselman. Wetzel's starting to settle in now. The Applemen are, are, are struggling to string hits together. You know, you look at the fifth, they get a runner in scoring position, they can't score, and then they go in order in the sixth. Uh, and then the first out's recorded in the seventh inning, so Musselman's down to their final out, two outs, and they're trailing by two with their eight and nine hitters up. Um, but both Kaylee Newland and Sidney Elwanger uh, earn walks, and through some crazy play in the field, uh, Sarah Munson, the shortstop, hits a ground ball to the third baseman, has to make a quick throw. It's misplayed. The tying run scores. That sends us to extra innings. Uh, and Musselman then has this explosion of runs in the ninth. They score four runs 
Spring Mills just kind of capitulated at that point, and and Ap- the Appleman win this game eight to four. So it was a, a really well played game. You know, the knife got a little a little scratchy for Spring Mills. It was just it was just clear that they ran out of gas. But it was eight innings of great baseball or softball, excuse me, and a great pitching matchup between Claire Wetzel who finishes this game, I believe, with 11 strikeouts. She gives up the eight runs, not all of which were earned. And Ellie Sloan from Musselman, who strikes out 12, I believe, um, she does, and gives up four runs, not all four of which were earned. So it was Musselman that was able to get the better of Spring Mills. And importantly for the Appleman, uh, it snaps a four-game losing streak. It gives them a section win. They're now 6-10. and ten. The Cardinals fall to 10-5 and five in a really entertaining softball game. You can listen back to all the highlights over on our Twitter page at EP Sports Network, and you were able to catch up with Spring Mills' coach, Brown, uh, right after the game. Let's start with this. Uh, that snaps a, a four-game losing streak for you guys. So important to snap the streak and also very important, right, to do it against a, a section opponent. Yes, definitely. Um, we came out and... I went, we started hitting, and then I was like, okay, we're on to something, and then we just took a break. So we had to remind the girls, this is sectional play. We're going to need them to get to the next level. What are we going to do? So all of a sudden, they dug deep, and we were able to break that losing streak. You guys come out in the seventh. I mean, you're down two. The first uh, out of that innings recorded, but a couple of walks from your eight and your nine hitters. You have to be more than pleased. Say anything in particular before they uh, took those at-bats, or it was just something they came up with on their own? They dug deep, and they did it on their own. They knew they had to come to the plate and produce because we needed it, and they did. So I'm very pleased with them. And, and it seemed as though the quality of the at-bats. I mean, you guys saw a lot of pitches tonight, fouled a lot away against a very talented pitcher for Spring Mills. Yes. Talk about how crucial it was, quality of at-bats, fouling off tough two-strike pitches to get opportunities to put balls in play. I always explain to them that, look, if we're fouling it off, we're on it. It's going to eventually come. And a lot of girls were able to do that tonight. They continue to stay in there. They continue to fight and dig deep. And the ending result was they produce and we got runs. Uh, and lastly, obviously, I have to ask you about Ellie on the mound. Uh, any question that you were going to pull her from this game or was her game from start to finish? And I have her down for 20. 12, but she missed a lot of bats tonight and struck out a lot of batters. Yes, so she wasn't coming off. (laughs) My pitchers know once you're on, you're on, unless there's something crucial that we need to pull them from. So (laughs) all the confidence in the world, I knew she was going to finish this out. And that was uh, Musselman, head coach Brown, after their win over Spring Mills last night. And that was interesting. She said there, and like you said, the girl pitching so many innings over these last couple of games. Once you're in, you're in, <laughs> which is, uh, I mean, if that was my coach, I mean, my arm could only get through like an inning and a half anyways. So uh, I wouldn't be able to get on the mound for her. But, man, that's uh, a pretty intense words to to think about when you're a pitcher out there. Like, man, hey, I'm out here. It's all on me. I don't have anybody to fall back on. Yeah, and, you know, Spring Mills tried to threaten. You know, in the sixth inning, they tried to add to their lead, and uh, Sloan was able to respond and strand a runner there. They put the winning run aboard in both the seventh and eighth inning, and in the eighth inning, it got one to scoring position. Uh, they were down at that point, excuse me. Uh, and, and every time, Sloan was able to strand a base runner. Good command of the zone. I liked how both pitchers elevated uh, fastballs to hitters in the bottom of the count. You know, you're struggling to get your arms through the zone quickly, so those elevated fastballs are hard to lay off of, but they're hard to put in play. They missed a lot of bats, and it was a game that uh, really puts this section into a little bit of doubt because there's two ways to perceive what just happened, and a really important win for Musselman, obviously. Either that section is deeper than we thought, 
uh, because we know that Jefferson and, and Washington are going to dominate the other section. We thought this was Spring Mills' section to lose. So either it's deeper than we thought, and Musselman's got something to say in the second half of the season, or it means the Cardinals aren't as good as we thought they were. You look at how this team is put together. The top of their lineup's unbelievable. Chris Ring was sitting over 500 going into last night's game. Sabrina Nutter was hitting 400. Uh, but there were three players that started in the bottom of the lineup for the Cardinals that were hitting under 200. So the bottom of the lineup was struggling just a little bit. I think it's just a little bit of a mixture of both. I think it wasn't necessarily Wetzel's best performance, but she had thrown 29 innings. Right, you innings. can't blame her. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't really know how to interpret it, other than it was a really good pitching matchup between Sloan and Wetzel. And Musselman, while Spring Mills, I think, ran the bases better, Musselman just had a little bit more quality to their at-bats that I think were the difference maker in this game. Now, the thing I'd worry about with this, if you're looking from a Spring Mills perspective, is that this loss was on your home turf. That's that's the concern that I have with it. If it was at Musselman, I would ease it a little bit, saying, okay, you played on the road, circumstances weren't in your favor on that one, you'll get the return matchup. But with this loss being at home, again, I think it is a little bit of the two what you said. I think Spring Mills, we can confidently say, is not in that conversation of the top two teams in the panhandle now after this loss. It's a Musselman team that's been struggling for a little bit. Now, what are they, about two games back from Spring Mills? About two and a half, maybe, somewhere around that range. So maybe this section is deeper. Maybe it's one that is going to be a tough competition between a Musselman and a Spring Mills. And whoever wins that is going to have to take on a juggernaut and whoever is going to be Washington and Jefferson. And is that going to be technically the game that takes you to the state championship? Because if Washington or Jefferson, whoever takes over the one in that one, it seems like the competition level is a step up from whoever is going to be coming out of that Berkeley side of the section for the end of the day. I I don't know. It's it seems like the Jefferson side is way over handling the Berkeley side of things right now, and just depending on who comes out between Jefferson and Washington, I think it's more confidently I can say that's probably whoever is going to Charleston. Well, we also had some high school baseball action going on, and a lot of teams down South Myrtle Beach playing Hedgesville with a two one win over Lake City. They're three and zero down at the beach, so a nice trip for them. Tater Matthew getting a complete game uh, for Hedgesville Jefferson. Losing zero to one to High Point, Martinsburg big win over Shady Springs eleven to five. Musselman went or loses three to thirteen to Ripley. Spring Mills five six lost to Petersburg and Washington a seven nothing loss to Georgetown. What are you thinking about some of these uh, results from last night, especially Hedgesville going three and zero down south? That's a big performance for them. You know, to your third appearance in as many days. So your third guy that you want to throw, which is Tanner Matthew at this point, goes a complete game, only gives up one run, talks about how deep the pitching is. Same, frankly, for Jefferson. I know they lose this game to high point, but when you have that quality of an arm and the third time you've played in three days, it says a lot about your pitching staff. Martinsburg has to go down to the beach for whatever reason to play Shady Springs. I know, Shady Springs, <laughs> I know what? basically. I mean, it's a hard place to get to anyways. They weren't going to play him regardless, but you like to go play somebody that's not from West Virginia. <laughs> it's Myrtle Beach. It's basically West Virginia <laughs> That's anyway. a very good point. Um, that was a surprising loss for Musselman against Ripley, and uh, it snaps that winning streak of theirs. Uh, they had gone and played a couple of really talented non-Triple-A teams, and the Vikings, I mean, there's somebody that spent time in the top 10 in Double-A, so that was a uh, an important victory for Ripley and a tough loss for Musselman. Spring Mills continues to fight. We're still trying to figure out how good this team is. And Washington, it may not be their year. There's younger players on this team that I think are going to be good for years to come, and I know that that Georgetown program is pretty talented. So this is really one of the few unsuccessful days we've had from EPAC teams because what are they two for or two and four uh from mm-hmm. these six games 
Um, but with all that being said, I think the biggest takeaway for me is the depth of pitching that Hedgesville and Jefferson had three days into a tournament down at Myrtle Beach. I also want to pull apart Martinsburg getting that win while everyone else was taking losses. They've been on a little bit of a skid. They get that win back, and that's going to put them back, certainly back into the conversation of coming out potentially of the panhandle. They were looking good early in the season. That's mid, that midseason skid happens. Now you get a win against Shady when everyone else, for the most part, is taking losses today. That's huge. That's huge towards the end of the season. If they can use this as momentum, maybe they're back in that conversation. Is this where the season turns for Musselman potentially? You win 13 straight, but did you peak at the wrong time? It's these type of little things that you got to look out for for baseball season. Anytime you can swing momentum your way, you got to take advantage of it, and it's a big pickup for Martinsburg. And a Hedgesville team right now is looking solid. Pitching goes when you get to Charleston in the state tournament. This pitching as deep as it is, look out. And again, we are uh, we got all your softball and baseball coverage right here on WPM and WCST throughout the spring and into uh, the summer. Of course, not only EPAC baseball and softball, but Shepherd baseball and softball. Looking ahead to the schedule here, of course, we had Spring Mills and Musselman softball last night. We have uh, Martinsburg and Washington baseball coming up uh, here just a few days next week. And what are we thinking? A little quick preview before we get to this first break about the Martinsburg-Washington uh, baseball matchup here on WEPM. Uh, an opportunity for Martinsburg this game coming up next Tuesday to prove that they're a top dog coming out of their section uh, against a Washington team that's not necessarily in the best form right now. We've got six games over the next five days starting on next Tuesday, so it's going to be a ton of fun. It's Martinsburg's game to win, but it's at Washington. Washington's got some young talent. Um, I think it's going to be a competitive game. We wouldn't put it on the air if we didn't think it was going to be a competitive game, but I think it's one that Martinsburg needs to win coming out of, off of this trip from the uh, the beach excuse me, uh, to continue on the momentum that they're starting to garner again. Um, but Washington uh, certainly has something to say about that. Well, you can text us, 304-263-4321. We'll step aside here for just a few minutes. We'll come back. We'll touch on some WVU news, but we'll also start talking about the O's because, man, O's magic is in full swing down in Baltimore. Another big win yesterday. Walk off Adley Rutschman. I mean, they're going to put him in the ring of honor, and he's not even 22 yet. So we'll step aside uh, and talk about that after this on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Tweet the guys at EP Sports Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Icewinner alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. And let's touch a little uh, WVU football and while well, WVU sports in general. But first, let's talk about WVU, well, West Virginia in general, trying to make, you know, geopolitical moves with uh, <laughs> Ukraine and you got, I mean, break it down for us. Brad Paisley's over there in Ukraine with a uh, cowboy hat on. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what's that, what are they trying to do? What, so what's this, what, the, what are they trying to solve? This was a crazy, uh, crazy story. Uh, I got sent, somebody sent me the picture of uh, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, mm-hmm. Joe Manchin, and Brad Paisley. <laughs> and they're handing him a flying WV hat. And I look at that and I go, "There's that's Photoshop. This, <laughs> is, no this way. is not real. <laughs> and then come to find out that if, if five minutes later, and I sent to you guys, that Joe Manchin and Brad Paisley were over in Ukraine and handed the president of Ukraine miles away from an active battle zone, a flying WV hat, and Brad Paisley performed for people at Ukraine. And the funniest thing about it are these war room photos of Senator Manchin, of course, going out there trying to trying to understand what's going on. He, he referred to it as a just war. We don't need to get political. But they're right. sitting around this table 
and out in the, in the corner is Brad Paisley with the Brad Paisley white <laughs> cowboy hat on, engaged in these talks with you know the the people directly determining the outcome of the war in Ukraine. Could you imagine in like however many years you open up a history book and there's a quote there from uh, the Ukrainian president saying, you know, we were in our darkest time of the war, but Brad Paisley came over and sang us a song. And Senator Brad Paisley came over and sang us a ditty. <laughs> Give him the key to Kiev or Kiev. Unreal. We start building the statue right now. Well, that's like, wasn't it? Um, I mean, uh, we can't. We we shouldn't get into this too much. But wasn't it uh, with the. Uh, Winds of Change, that song, Winds of Change. You ever heard that song? I know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. That was like accredited partially to stopping the Cold War. Oh. Yeah. So mm -hmm. there you go. Well, I maybe, thought what stopped the Cold War was uh, Rocky knocking out uh, the yeah. Russian. Yeah. If I can change, and that, you can change, that everyone and a prog rock can change. Song. Yeah, that and a hair metal song. <laughs> that did it. Well, anyways, West Virginia, we got spring game coming up. People still talking about basketball. I mean, is football where people want it? What's going on over in Morgantown? A lot of things going on in WVU football, most notably. Uh, when the Mountaineers took the practice field yesterday, uh, one of their offensive linemen looked a little bit different, standing at 285 pounds and six foot ten. Jimmy Bell, the center for the Mountaineer basketball team, just kind of decided out of nowhere, "Hey, I'm going to show up at football practice. I played offensive line in high school. I'm going to see if I can uh, run it back for the Mountaineers." Apparently, he looked pretty darn good. Huh. So that that was kind of what. Uh, caught all of the headlines yesterday and then the things that we're continuing to see today at the Mountaineer basketball team who already have one of the best portal recruiting classes if you count both Omar Silvario and Jose Perez from Manhattan who weren't eligible to play last year they pick up Kirk Creesa from Arizona uh, the, the point guard was the best point guard in the portal but they're trying to get more including Jesse Edwards from Syracuse who would be a huge addition Caleb Grill John Hewley from Pitt all the different players that are coming to visit. Matthew Cleveland, they just offered the other day from Florida State. Musa Cisse from Oklahoma State. They've offered a lot of different people in the portal. And it really comes down to what you think as a Mountaineer fan your shopping list is for this team. I think they need a starting center, especially if Jimmy Bell's going to play football. Uh, they need a starting center, and they need a spot-up shooter, and they need another scorer on the wing. And you could say, well, every team needs that in college basketball. But they're the team that's getting players that fit that description to visit. If they're able to pick up Edwards, if they're able to pick up Hewley from Pitt, again, somebody that could play on the wing and get you 15 points a game, and if they're able to pick up somebody like Grill that can be a spot-up shooter for them, then we're going to have to start having the conversation that, number one, the transfer portal as it is right now was made for Bob Huggins. Mm -hmm. Number two, this team will enter the conversation as being one of the three or four best teams in the Big 12 next year. So that that's what's at stake for the Mountaineer basketball team. But you're right, overshadowed by the fact that the Mountaineer spring game is coming up next week. So much going on at WVU Athletics. And this is really big, this Jesse Edwards coming in for this weekend because he's down to his top three. Kansas is included in the top three, and I believe West Virginia is his final visit. So they could lock him up in Morgantown this weekend and get him locked in. But this is a guy, if he if he lands in, with WVU, he's a fantastic get. He averaged 14 points, almost 11 rebounds, and three blocks a game at Syracuse last year. This guy is a great presence down low. You pair that with a guy like Kirk Kreisha, who was the top assist guy in the Pac-12 last season. It's a team you're looking at West Virginia on paper and saying, maybe this is fringe preseason top 25, if you look at it right now. I've seen some people say that Top teams coming into next season, a lot, of, a lot of buzz on Duke, UConn, the defending national champion for Atlanta, who made the Final Four. West Virginia, with all these guys coming in, if they, again, land a guy like Jesse Edwards, this is a fringe top 25 team today. I really think so. With the return of Trey Mitchell coming back, too, you look at this team, 
They look solid, and I've heard some uh, rumors going around that this uh, the Jimmy Bell move might be a five uh, D chess yep. play by Bob Huggins <laughs> to try and open up a scholarship spot on the basketball team. If so, great play. I like it, but we'll have to see what goes for it. Could Jimmy Bell play two sports at the same time at West Virginia? Maybe be a reserve tackle or guard, and then go play basketball. I'm not too sure. He better not be playing guard. The 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 problem with Jimmy goes out. (laughs) The problem with Jimmy Bell, though, is remember he lost 100 pounds when he came to WVU to get down to 285 to play. If he wants to play football, though, he's going to have to put some of that weight back on. He's 285. If he wants to be a college tackle, he's probably going to have to put on 20 pounds. And then what do you do? You lose that and go back into basketball season. I mean, he looked lean for an offensive line, but he's also six foot ten. You know, so he's going to have to put on some weight if he wants to be a tackle. Which again, if he's a six foot ten guard, I feel like you've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Put him on the edge. Let him go crazy. Put yeah. him at tight end. Yeah, let's get weird with it. You know, he's athletic. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's got some athleticism in there. Well, yeah, I didn't know about that. I didn't see that in there about Jimmy Bell. I heard you guys talking about that yesterday, and I was like, what? I thought it was somebody else. <laughs> see, I, I brought that up to Luke yesterday. He thought it was like a. False report or something like somebody's yeah. making a joke like uh, Jimmy yeah, Bell's on the football team, but no. Nope. A little late uh, April Fool's Day. <laughs> well, the Orioles seem to be like uh, the real deal this year, fellas. Get another win last night. Adley Rutschman with the walk-off home run. They beat the A's 8-7. to seven. My goodness, Orioles magic is in full swing, and we'll uh, listen back to the call from last night and well, give thoughts about, I mean, I think, well, when is it too early, or when is it not too early to say that they're the real deal? Think about that. We'll talk about that. You can text us 304-263-4321. We'll be back. More Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Sports Live, your home for sports in the Panhandle. Here's Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Welcome back to Paint Handle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchival Building. I'm Jordan Ice Warner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. And of course, WPM is your home for Baltimore Orioles baseball. And if you're tuned in last night, you would have heard an exciting ending to the game. Rutschman slams it. Deep right field. This is headed towards the bleachers. And it's gone. And it's a walk-off. The punctuation mark on the Orioles' first home stand. Adley Rutschman sends the Orioles fans home happy and his teammates waiting for him at home plate as he will get the blue Gatorade bath and the Orioles will get a series win and a walk-off win. Eight to seven over the Athletics. O's magic, boys. It's in full swing. My question is, do they already have the Adley Rutschman statue built or do you think they're in the process of building it now? Something else, man. I mean, the key is going to be how do they not Buster Posey him and, mm-hmm. and, and make sure they extend his career because he has some quality at-bats. He's such a good hitter, you can put him all over the lineup. you got, obviously, the DH, first base, but he's still a very good defensive catcher. How many games do the Orioles let him catch this year? Do they let him catch 120? Is it just 100? That's going to be crucial. Uh, let's not talk about the fact that Voth again came in and gave up a lead, and this bullpen is terrible after the starting pitching didn't do them much favors in this game either. But the offense bails him out. Uh, and Adley, man, I mean, he's he, he's, he's going to be he's going to be very How old is very he? fun. Twenty three. That's a good question. I what believe is, he's he was twenty three. Obviously drafted out of college. Yeah. He is he's 25. Not, no 25. way he's 25. Man, he's 25. Wow. That's way older than I that thought. That is a lot older than I thought, too. That, that How is, long was he? Because he was drafted in what, like 20, 2019. 2019 is when Rutschman was drafted because he was number one. 
Huh. I, w- I was thinking he was way older than that. For some reason, his name doesn't seem as, uh, or it seems fresher than that. It does. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. But still, um, he's somebody that even at 25 for a catcher, you can give a, a city six, oh, seven yeah. years of your prime. Uh, so and, and, and with all tr- the protections now too, I mean, mm-hmm. catching's not as uh, physical. I mean, it's still most physical, and demanding position on the field. But um, after you talk about Buster Posey, after him getting hurt like he did, I mean, that whole position's pretty much changed. Yeah, you're right. Um, but again, the Orioles need to figure out how to limit runs because things are getting a little scary that they have to win the games the way that they are. <laughs> they're six and five, but they're doing it against bad teams, and they're doing so having to bail out bad pitching. So where's that pitching going to come from? But I know Orioles fans are just enjoying the moment right now, as you should, uh, because your future is in very good hands. And you think about the players that you've come, you've got caught, you've got coming up the pipe as well. Hopefully, some of those are arms. Uh, but for the time being, this is a fun team to watch. I think that it kind of mirrors what we're seeing. And the Orioles are a little bit ahead of schedule. We had Daniel Woods on what the Pirates are doing right now. They just yeah. beat my Cardinals yesterday. Uh, they're fun. They're young. They're energetic. You know, and they're in a good position to play some competitive baseball and watch the team mature right before your eyes. So, you know, don't don't uh, don't let these moments go to waste. Orioles fans enjoy this. Well, we got Orioles baseball again tonight. Uh, they're on the road up in Chicago playing the White Sox 7-10 first pitch. Again, we'll have it right here on WPM and WCST. Panhandle News Network. The Nats are back in action. They're uh, having their first big home stand of the year. Garden or the Gardeners. <laughs> the um, Guardians are coming to town. Um, who really cares about that matchup? We don't have to talk about that too much because I do want to talk about the Rays. Now, they won again yesterday. They tie the record at 13. What was it, like 1,900 or something? Or nine, whatever the record is. for the record, the, the record record I found out on a broadcast yesterday, it was the St. Louis team. Of course it was. Just completely slipped my of mind what the, the team name was. No, it was not the Browns. Uh, that won 20 games. So I think that record is safe. Huh. Well, they went again last night, and... I mean, what what are they doing? I mean, what what's making them so good right now? It seems like it's a it's a team with a bunch of no names. Uh, at least for me, a bunch of no names. I'm sure you guys are probably in the weeds with a couple of those dudes, <laughs> knowing uh, from their amateur career or something. But they win again, and it, I mean, they're on track to not lose a game all year. Yeah, they've been really really solid. It all boils down to like you mentioned, guys who are on low payroll, playing out of their mind. I mean, granted, you got Wander Franco, who's still kind of on his rookie deal. He's one of the already the best shortstops in baseball at a young age. He's been such a spark plug into this Rays lineup. Brandon Lau has been an absolute home run machine for the Rays so far. He's hit five already this season. Uh, Randy Rosarena has really capitalized on a wonderful World Baseball Classic performance he had. He's played fantastic. Guys like Yandy Diaz and the pitching, too. You look at guys like Shane McClanahan, Drew Rouseman, who's going to pitch for them tonight against Toronto. It's been a lineup where, okay, you poke at these names and say, okay, most people would kind of know Juan DeFranco, maybe Randy mm-hmm. Rosarena, uh, and then Shane McClanahan pitching. But other than that, you got to dig in this lineup to find guys like like you have to find these guys, and you're like, how is he doing this? He's like 30 years old or something <laughs> like that, just playing out of his mind. And it's it, moneyball type stuff, man. It really is, and it's a tribute to it's one of the best front offices in management in baseball is the Tampa Bay Rays, and it doesn't get talked about enough how well they do this, and they're consistently making the playoffs. With low payroll and guys, where you look at and you're like, how? Why is he playing this good? Wasn't he like terrible like three years ago? What mm-hmm. he was just like a bench guy like three years ago. They've been doing some really good stuff over in Tampa. It's exciting over that way, and hopefully, it's momentum to get them to get a really good new stadium and stay in Tampa with all this going on. It was the 1884 St. Louis Maroons. They started 20 and 0. Listen to this stat: they had five pitchers with over 120 innings pitched. All of them had an ERA under two. 
18th St. Louis Maroons. Yeah, that's the record for the most. Can I mean, get a roster on this? They, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the stats. Uh, shout out to Wikipedia one time. Yeah. Fred Dunlap led the team with 13 home runs. Uh, Milt Whitehead was also on the team, yeah, along see. with Orator Schaefer, who played yeah. in the outfield. Sleeper Sullivan. <laughs> exactly. Charlie Sweeney. God. Buttercup Dickerson. <laughs> Buttercup Dickerson. Milt Whitehead. Came off the He's Canadian. Man, there was an Irish guy, Australian on this team. Listen, man. CV My Madison goodness. pitch. I mean, this 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 oh, team had some dudes. Well, here you go. Fred Dunlap. He was their stud. He That's was making saying, the most yeah. money. He was making three thousand six hundred dollars <laughs> salary. Wow. Salary. That's big money for what eighteen eighty four. That's huge. I'm not going to count this, by the way. I'm not counting the the well, Buttercup Dickerson hit three sixty five. Oh, Fred Dunlap was player coach. Hey, there we go. There Love a go. good player. Go figure. No wonder I'm, he was making all the money. If anybody was, remembers this team, feel free to text <laughs> yeah. in. Well, um, what was I going to bring up now? I forgot now that we're, we went on to well, a, now that uh, you say it, St. I, Louis Maroons. Well, now that you say it, it makes me think of like all the like weird nicknames. Of, like Baseball feels like it's the only sport that has like weird nicknames for players like that. Like You look like Pee Wee Reese, and you have all sorts <laughs> of people like that. I feel like soccer's got some. I feel like you go over to Europe, there's some weirdo names like that. Like a uh, sleeper Sullivan type of thing, or Raider. Bob Shea, Feller right? was the heater from Van Meter. I mean, come on, this is huh. some of the best nicknames in sports. Crazy. Who'd have thought? But I'm not going to count the uh, 1884 St. Louis Maroons. I'm going to do whatever I count with whatever everybody else has going on. But yeah, man, the Orioles playing well. But then if you go just what 40 minutes, half hour south on 95, you get down into DC, and well, they're in sports turmoil right now. Well. Is it sports turmoil or sports elation it's in elation. D.C. right now with uh, them? The commanders getting sold. Well, not quite yet. Actually, yes, but not really quite yet sold uh, by their two to the 76ers co-CEO, Josh Harris. And go figure Magic Johnson of all people. <laughs> I, I completely forgot the Magic's little snuck something in there at the yeah. last second. What's weird about this, though, and this was just where I, things were left yesterday uh, is that that Canadian billionaire whose name everybody just loves saying because it's a Postalopoulos still thinks he's got a chance to buy the team. So I think the takeaway is that the commanders will be sold. It will be $6 billion. With a big old B. With inheriting the worst stadium and one of the worst run organizations in football over the last couple of years. In sports, really. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, the deal's going to get done. It's just a question as to who or who, who's going to be the, the person to end up buying it. You know, we talk about expansion all the time and teams going, you know, Salt Lake City right now is looking to get, a, you know, some more professional teams. I, I don't think this would ever happen, but do you think the commanders are one of the only NFL franchises that could potentially be up for a move. I mean, you look at their stadium, you get some new ownership in there. Uh, Jacksonville. I, you know, I talked to St. Louis people about this because Shad Khan was trying to buy the Rams before Kroenke boxed him out and he bought the Jags, and he's from St. Louis. Um, I, my belief is that Trevor Lawrence saved Jacksonville football. Yeah. If they don't yeah. get him, they're probably an expansion team. But Jacksonville is in a position where they could move, and yeah, the uh, D.C., I, I don't see them ever losing that team unless, I mean, it's moves like this. They keep a team there. You six billion billion plus a new influx of cash mm -hmm. because you know that part of the package was rejuvenating the stadium. And, of course, somebody that just inherits an NFL team isn't going to want to inherit a team that's going to win 15 games over the next three right. seasons. Now he fans to, will actually show up again. Yeah, he wants yeah. to go out and compete. He wants to spend some money, splash some cash, and get some people in there. Even though that means now you're going to have to sit uh, instead of three hours in traffic no. around the FedEx field to get in and out of there, it'll be 10 hours to sit in traffic <laughs> around FedEx field. Man, there, there is nothing worse than trying to get in and hey, out of a ball game at FedEx. Mark Train. 
That's make, true. Make it yeah. happen. Or just, uh, I think way. they need. I, I want to be going to Commanders games <clears throat> on the train. Come man, on, from, I, from Martinsburg. They need to put the stadium back in D.C. Yeah, I think, I think somehow, some way. Maybe, you know, take down um, RFK, you know, with how historic that is and whatnot. But I don't think that's doing anything now, especially with with the uh, uh, D.C. United having their own stadium. Yeah. So I think tear that down, <clears throat> build a new one right there. There you go. Maybe back in D.C., out. get everybody back in uh, rejuvenated a little bit on it. And the thing is, too, with this Commanders franchise, you look at them. There's potential in this team. You look at it. There's some of the they got some really exciting players like Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson. I know a lot of people were high on from last year. Brian Robinson was one of the best stories in football towards the beginning part of the year. There's optimism in this organization. And it feels like a, the dark cloud of Dan Snyder has been like lifted almost. And it's I know a lot of people are were wanting him to get out of the league, and he's been ousted as one of the worst owners in all of sports for decades at this point. And it's just nice to see this for Commanders fans. I Where I grew up at, a ton of Commanders fans over that way. They were all jumping for joy with Dan Snyder being, oh, yeah. being done. But, yeah, I'm interested to see. Now, your question on if they would ever move, I don't think so. I think D.C.'s become too big of a market to move with them. Well, they're one of the oldest franchises at this point, right? Yeah. NFL? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think they could ever move it out of that out of that location at this mm-hmm. point, just for how much of a big sports scene. I mean, mm-hmm. DC is one of those places you you have your big three of sports there. You got to keep it there. I yeah. think, but to put the stadium in DC, I think it'd be a fantastic idea. You have to go all the way over into Maryland to play if you're a Commanders fan player. I mean, have you guys ever been to a, any event at FedEx Field? No. no. I mean, it's literally the worst parking ever. You're in the middle of nowhere. <clears throat> There's one way in and out, right? And it's two lanes. Well, probably four lanes, I guess. But two lanes uh, in and out. And then it's, a, it's just a huge ring of parking around there, the stadium, right? It's like the, Ooh, It's huge. And then everybody gets funneled into this little area to get in and out. It's awful. I can't stand it. So I think hopefully uh, we get some Magic Johnson money in there. Maybe you can get a nice new stadium downtown. Who knows? Maybe put it right on the mall, right, right on the uh, right on the reflecting pool by the Washington Monument. Why not? But we'll step aside one final time. We'll come back. We'll get Parker's picks, and we'll wrap things up on this Friday edition of Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Mix up your sports coverage with Panhandle Sports Live, heard on the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Paint Handle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Icewinner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Yeah, well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Prove it, it's never fails. Never failed once. So we do three picks per day on Parker's Picks, but we only were able to do two yesterday because Matt Chapman, I don't know what happened with him. I don't know if he had a... Uh, bad case of the six or what happened with him but he ended up getting scratched before the game before the case Blue the Jays and the Tigers he had some suds <laughs> he had to get scratched apparently it was I was checking out on Blue Jays Twitter and that like Danny Jansen I think got sick or something apparently it might be whatever Jansen had might have passed over to Matt Chapman the time which, of year man which stinks because I was excited to watch Matt Chapman because he's had an unbelievable start to the season. But that one goes void for us, but we were able to capitalize on both our picks yesterday. Yesterday's lock of the day was Austin Hayes getting two total bases. He gets that easily. And then I had Joe Ryan over five and a half strikeouts, which he was dealing against the Yankees and the Twins. Absolutely whooped up nine runs in the first inning against the Yankees. Touched them up in an 11-2 final. I think they went, I saw the clip, they went back to back to back home runs on the Yankees yesterday, which was nuts. 
really, really cool. And I know a lot of Twins fans are kind of the, the monkey on their back is they can't beat the Yankees. So that was a cool moment for Minnesota. But into today, we're going to turn to baseball once again. Today's lock of the day is I'm actually turning back to the Yankees, and I think they beat the Twins today because I think they're going to come back with a vengeance. Nasty Nestor's on the mound for the Yankees today. I think they get the win back. The game's at 7.06 tonight. I think the Yankees get it back against the Twins tonight and get the win. That is today's lock of the day. Also, I have Wander Franco getting two-plus total bases against the Blue Jays today. I thought maybe this could be the game where the Rays finally dropped that first one, but I looked at it, and Drew Rousman's been pitching really good. Jose Barrios has been a big disappointment, I think, for the Blue Jays in a signing that was last year. I think Franco getting those two-plus total bases is a safe one to go with. And I'm also going with J-Ram. Jose Ramirez getting two-plus total bases against the Nationals tonight. And I think Jay Ram, he's one of my favorite players in baseball. He's so consistent. I think he's going to be able to do that against the Nationals as he's one of the better players in baseball. That doesn't get talked about enough. And then for the weekend, we have NBA playoffs going on tonight. The games are the eight seeds. They're going to see the Thunder and the Timberwolves playing in the West, Heat and the Bulls out in the East. That uh, Heat Bulls matchups could be really fun mm-hmm. too because like the, there's like two best friends are going up against each other and Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, the two like two focal pieces of what was that Raptors teams that eventually won a championship. But I'm going with, for the weekend lock, I'm going to go with Donovan Mitchell over 30.5 points in the Knicks-Cavs matchup. I know Donovan Mitchell is going to go crazy in this series, but the way the Knicks win this series boy. is they have to let Donovan Mitchell get his mm-hmm. and shut down everybody else. That's how it's going to have to be. Donovan Mitchell is going to put this team on his back and try and will them in and just play off Donovan Mitchell. It's a different beast. I'm going with him going 30 30 and a half total points. I'm taking the over on that one. I also got Joel Embiid's over on rebounds at 11 and a half. I think he's absolutely going to beat up on the Nets in this series. It's going to be the Joel Embiid show. And if it's a time for the Sixers to make a run for a championship, I think it's right now in the Eastern Conference. So I think that over 11 and a half rebounds hits, as well as I've got the Celtics beating the Hawks in the opening matchup in that series. I think the Celtics are just really good right now. I think it might be a gentleman sweep, might go to five games, six if the Hawks are lucky. But I got the Celtics taking game one in the garden. Well, if you guys uh, wouldn't mind indulging me in some uh, Knicks playoff talk here for a second, do you think there might be too much pressure on you know Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, those guys? Uh, but more specifically, uh, Julius Randle, because in his past, he has been able to handle the pressure too well. Now, he can handle it, but you know people can get under his skin. He gets a little down, and then he kind of shuts down on the court. And, well, the offense, the whole team has run through uh, – Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. So do you think uh, if they are able to either control uh, Spider or maybe, like you said, let him do his thing and then control everybody else, uh, do you think they have – give me a percentage chance on what you guys think the Knicks have to get out of this first round. I think they're going to win it. I think the question becomes Isaac Okoro is going to be guarding somebody and mm-hmm. that somebody's probably going to be Jalen Brunson. So who is going to step up in that absence? But the advantage that the Knicks have in this situation is – and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen front court for the Cavaliers, um, and Julius Randle being able to go at one of them one on one, and I'm assuming it's going to be Mobley. Allen defends the rim well. Mobley's a little bit better at the two defending the perimeter, but you're starting two traditional centers against um, somebody that can score at isolation at the power forward position just as well as anybody in the NBA. Now Parker alluded to Donovan Mitchell needing to have a good series, and I agree. Obviously, he needs to have a good series, and whether or not the Knicks can shut down his cast of characters. I don't know. Darius Garland has been one of those people that has really proved me wrong as somebody else that I thought was going to have an average career that's really come into his own. I think he's kind of the X factor in this series for the Cavs, but 
Um, it, it comes down to, I guess, that matchup between him and R.J. Barrett because, again, mm-hmm. it Randall. I'm God, sorry. I hope R.J. Barrett plays well. It's oh. it's it's the Brunson versus a Coral matchup, I would assume, which means that if Brunson's off, it's R.J. Barrett's job to step up and fill that gap, and then it's Randall doing what he can to attack those two basically centers that the Cavaliers start at the four and the five um, in Mobley and Jared Allen. I think there's too much momentum, in a, and we talked about home court at the Garden for the Knicks mm-hmm. not to win this series. That's just my opinion. I think they've got a little bit more coming off the bench. Emmanuel quickly is going to have a game in this series where he scores 30 points. Right. He's going to have a yeah. game where he scores four. But, you know, it, it, I, I think there's too much going the way of the Knicks from a matchup perspective, assuming you're able to work around a Coro for them to get this done. Well, they're going to need the production from um, Barrett. Big time. They're going to be mm-hmm. need production out of him because they need that like third, fourth guy. Uh, because, like you said, I think their bench is fine with how they have you know Hart coming off every once in a while, and you got Hartenstein coming off every once in a while, being able to kind of supplement your forwards and you know your big guys. But you need uh, Barrett to be able to do something out there, and he's been as streaky as ever this year, and he hasn't been great down the stretch but hopefully he can turn it up in the playoffs and i even think darius garland's been very streaky here as of late too so it's really when donovan mitchell came in and he took control of this team darius garland had a much better year last year than what he had this year i think it really boils down to who is really the guy who steps up for either team is it rj barrett for the next or is it darius garland for the Cavs, because if Don, Don, donovan mitchell is going to get locked on and i know he's going to score a bunch of points but if darius garland is unable to score to what he can Who's going to be the point getter for the Cavs? That's really the question you got to look at. Because I really like the way that Julius Randle is going to be able to pull Evan Mobley predictably out of the paint, which is going to get things. I think Mitchell Robinson and Jared Allen's maybe as close a matchup as you can get in that department. Both are rim protectors. Maybe a slight advantage to Jared Allen over Mitchell Robinson. But I like how Randle is going to be able to pull one of these guys out of paint. And I like the way that the Knicks are going to be able to stretch the court, I think, to play a lot of outside in in that sense. I, again, I favor the Knicks, too. I think it's going to go to seven games, though. I think the Knicks will win it in Quicken Loans Arena. But it's going to be a fun series. This is by far and away the best mm-hmm. series of the of opening round of the playoffs, by the way. it's I don't think it's even close. The rest of these, you look at these, you got you got 76ers and Nets. I think there's a good chance the Sixers sweep that series. Uh, Celtics-Hawks, that might be a gentleman's sweep at five Sacramento games. Sacramento-Golden State will be fun. I think I could be sneaky good. I think that one could go to six. Like the beam. I, I'm rooting for the Kings. I love the beam. Love the beam. I'm pulling for the Kings hard in this one. I think they're like America's darling at this point, just, and just because no one wants to see the Warriors win, but I think the Warriors <laughs> will end up winning this series just because of the experience that they all have. I think the Lakers are going to beat the Grizzlies in round one, guys. You think? I think so. Have you seen the end of John Morant for the year? I think I think just they're not ready. I think they're coming in to – this is like their first big test. They're the two seed coming in. It's a bunch of young players. I think they're going to get kind of – Welcome to the playoffs from LeBron and Anthony Davis and co. in this first-round matchup. I, th- I think they're going to get bounced. And then you look at that Suns-Clippers matchup. I think right now Phoenix is my favorite come out of the West right now. If Kevin Durant plays and he's able to be out there, they're by far and away, I think, the best team out in the West right now. You can maybe argue the Nuggets, but I don't trust Denver. I, are, is anyone afraid of the Nuggets in the playoffs? That's a real question i got to ask. I don't think so. No. No one's afraid of the Nuggets, and they just will not be. And I don't know why. I'm I'm not afraid of the Nuggets. And I think the I think the finals matchup. I ain't afraid of no Nuggets. Yeah, I mean, no one's afraid of the Nuggets. They're in Nugget. I ain't eight. <laughs> He's got better Nuggets. Uh, ready? Quick. Chick Fil A, McDonald's, Wendy's. Wendy's, Chick Fil A. I'm sorry. Chick Fil A, Wendy's, McDonald's. Wendy's, Chick Fil A, McDonald's. Wendy's Chick-fil-A number second one? for Chick Fil A second. 
Don't hate me. I like Wendy's Nuggets, man. Disturbing. Wow. Unreal. I'm a big Wendy's Nuggets guy. Um, anyway, it's got a little under a minute left here, fellas. Anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, some some Nugget heresy to close yeah. out the show here on this good Friday. Grief. Hope everybody has a good weekend. It's going to be a fun sports weekend. Yeah. Spring game, Shepard. That's right. 30, be there. That's right. Stay, uh, stay up to date over at EP Sports Network on Twitter. You got anything, Park? Yeah, same thing. Just uh, spring games this weekend over at Shepard. Come on out. And NBA basketball, baseball over the weekend. It's packed up. It's going to be a fun time. Well, in honor of Brad Paisley, we'll play this one out uh, for today. But if you missed today's show, you can listen back to it a little bit later on our Paint Handle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. If I see Vladimir Zelensky with a flying WV shirt on, a cowboy hat, and Toby Keith playing in the background, the war's over. World peace. World peace. But have a good weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. Just like Gene and Roy singing those campfire songs. Oh, I should have been a cowboy. I might have had a sidekick with a funny name. Running wild through the hills, chasing Jesse James. Ending up on the brink of danger. WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. A WVRC media station. We're proud to live here, too.